So today for the Commonweal Podcast, I'm speaking with Kathleen Sprose Cummings. She's the director of the Kushwa Center for the Study of American Catholicism and an associate professor in the Department of American Studies and History at the University of Notre Dame. Kathleen had a op-ed in the New York Times on August 17th following the release of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury's report on sexual abuse in the six dioceses in Pennsylvania. Kathleen, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Dominic. So it's been several weeks since the release of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report and your piece in the New York Times. Have you seen anything in the interim that suggests where things might be headed in terms of reform aimed at addressing the roles and responsibilities of bishops and other church officials when it comes to reporting and punishing sexual misconduct and abuse by clergy? No, Dominic, it's been three weeks since I actually wrote that article. And I ended the article by wishing that I'd hear some contrition from church leaders, all of them, not just the ones who were directly implicated in this latest scandal, but all of them. And I have to say that I I haven't seen that level of contrition at this point from really anybody. And I think that until we have public acknowledgement of Bishop's culpability in this larger scandal, I have doubts that we're going to see any of the wholesale reform I think is necessary. You know, in your uh, piece too, and I think in uh, some appearances following uh, the appearance of the piece in the New York Times, you discussed some of the responses and the demands made in the aftermath of the report, suggestions such that all U.S. bishops be asked to resign. And that's something that we touched on in a Commonweal editorial as well. And I'm wondering what you think of some of those demands that people are making in the aftermath of the release of this report. Yes, I did see the calls for bishops to resign. And what I had suggested in my piece was that it was time for the bishops to voluntarily relinquish their place at the table in the sense of not so much that I was demanding that they resign, but that they should come to terms with their own culpability and perhaps resign. And uh, we're certainly not seeing that from any of them. That's not what I'm hearing. I haven't actually talked to any bishops in the wake of this, but I do think we're not going to be seeing that anytime soon. And I guess I can uh, I can take it to me from that too, that that other, uh, you made another call in your column for statements that you'd like to hear from the pulpit, from clergy or from church officials anywhere along the lines of, we're no longer worthy of your sacred trust. And I guess I take it you haven't heard or heard of any such statements of abdication of power anywhere. Is that right? No, I've spoken with many priests privately who express their own pain and their own sorrow. But no, certainly, if anything, I've heard people say, well, this is the time to be supporting the worthy priests. And I did say that there are many worthy priests. I'm friends with many of them, colleagues with many of them. My point was that this is not the time to point that out, that this is the time to come to terms with the gravity of this crisis. And before we can move forward, there has to be an admission of, of guilt, of collective guilt. In the piece as well, you wrote that, my once polite requests for incremental reform have morphed overnight into demands that church leaders voluntarily relinquish their place at the head table. What were the types of incremental reform you had envisioned once and that you now believe are non-functional? You know, to sort of add to what you were saying a moment ago, what do you have in mind to replace those? Well, I'll speak primarily in my role as a historian, and I give a lot of talks on the question of women in the church to groups that are not scholarly, but but people who work for the church who want to see a greater integration of women into the life of the church. And I usually cite examples from history, and I talk about, I use humor quite a bit, and talk about situations that I know from my own research or other stories about Catholic women in the past, many of them sisters, 
who really couldn't get anything done unless they cultivated sympathetic clerical allies or tiptoed around imperious bishops who demanded that they be subservient. And, you know, I used to present these stories as they offer us hope and encouragement. And if these women still kept the faith in the wake of these challenges that they've been experiencing for centuries, then maybe we should have hope for gradual change. And, you know, the church takes a long time to change. This was my line. This is, you know, and I would say it, I think, very tactfully and again, humor. And I think what crystallized for me in the wake of this latest Pennsylvania report is it just made me angry. And instead, I look at the stories of these women now, and I see what a colossal waste of time and talent and gifts that women have spent centuries. So whereas before I'd be inclined to look on the bright side and and talk about how the church does change and how that there were many wonderful partnerships between men and women in the past, I'm more inclined now to, to say, look, this has been going on a long time. And the gravity of this particular crisis would have become apparent far sooner and its consequences far less devastating if there had been women included in conversations about how to deal with abuser priests. Mm-hmm. And what about in terms of sort of uh, practical aspects to that? When you talk about women being involved in these discussions, how would you envision that? Or what is there something that you would propose or, or like to see specifically? I teach at Notre Dame and I taught a new class last semester called Faith and Feminism in America. And it wasn't just about Catholicism. It was on faith more broadly defined. And my students asked me a lot. You know, we looked at the issue, for example, of women's ordination in the Catholic Church. We looked at that historically. And they didn't even know that that had been a conversation. And they were asking me a lot of things like, Professor Cummings, why why don't we talk about it? Why am I a senior at Notre Dame, one student said, and I've never heard about this. We should be talking about this. And I gave my standard, well, you know, we talk about a lot of other issues, women in the church, and this particular issue is not salient right now. And now I think we need to be talking about everything. Mm -hmm. Everything should be on the table. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about Mary, the Blessed Mother, in terms of the way the Catholic Church is so good at idolizing the feminine and motherhood. And the church is historically very bad at engaging with actual women, with mothers, with vowed women. And I think I just, I'm my patience, as I announced to the world apparently in the New York Times, has just grown rather thin. And I just feel a greater sense of urgency. But I doubt we can move forward until the bishops acknowledge the role that sexism has played in this crisis. I'm certainly not expecting to hear that anytime soon. Right. Uh, You know, Kathleen, you've mentioned too in the piece and you speak of sort of feeling like a gradualist in the past. Do you think it was this crisis, this specific sequence of events this summer that led you to the position, the feelings you have now? Or did you sense this creeping up in some way or some fashion already beforehand? Personally speaking. (laughs) That's a great question, Dominic. When I wrote the piece, I was convinced that it happened overnight. I think I used that word in there. And people said, well, what's different about the Pennsylvania report than what we heard from Boston or the one focused on Philadelphia, which was personally very painful for me as a a native of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Right. And I, I did say that what was different about this was the magnitude and the scope of it in the sense of these adjacent dioceses and bishops working together and how this all worked systemically, that it it wasn't, you could no longer make a case of this is just a few bad apples. It was the scale of it, I think, was much more dramatic. 
But as I've had time to reflect on it over the last three weeks, I think I probably could see it coming. You know, I mentioned this course that I taught, Faith and Feminism in America. I've certainly taught courses on women's history and women's religious history, but I never named a course as such. And I think it is what's happening, you know, time's up, me too. I tell my students in Catholics in America that when we, that when we look at that subject, we look not only what's happening in the church, but we have to look at what's happening in American culture. So I suspect that, yes, I was moving toward this by the larger situation in our culture right now. And those influences definitely played a part in it. So that was not apparent to me at the time. But looking back at the sources and thinking about the way I was feeling when I created the Faith and Feminism course, I suspect I've been moving to it for some time. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, I think that you mentioned movements like Time's Up and, and, and Me Too as well. And, and now that the school year started at Notre Dame again, what are you sensing from your students? Is this something that has even uh, sort of crossed their radar the way it might sort of be an issue of great interest to perhaps some older Catholics or adult Catholics or those of us who sort of grew up in the church and maybe are a little older than college students these days? What Do you detect any difference in how they're responding to this now than maybe some of your contemporaries? I usually start the first day of class. I don't like to waste the first day of class. So I assign them some recent articles that they're supposed to come to class prepared to read to give an indication of where we're going in the semester. And this semester for two classes that I'm teaching, one called Catholics in America, the other called Sanctity and Society, I assigned a piece from Commonweal, actually, by B.D. McClay on Maria Goretti, a saint for a new sexual abuse crisis. And that worked really well. And I was able to see without sharing my own personal views, which I had published, you know, those were, I was speaking very personally there, not as a historian, but I was able to jump right into the conversation with them. And I can tell you that they are very concerned. I think it's crosses in addition to generational lines, it crosses gender lines as well. There are young men and women that are concerned. I see it a little more palpably with the women. They seem to be well, they reacted more strongly to the article on Maria Goretti, perhaps not surprising. You know, I'll ask you now, to, if you're able to sort of look a bit into the future and maybe talk about what you think this most recent crisis signals for American Catholics in coming months or perhaps years. Yes, well, historians are always wary about talking about the future, but I would say it's connected in the sense of one of the things I'm thinking about as director of the Kushwa Center is to think about convening a small group of historians to think about how we, we would grapple with this crisis and write about it and really demand a full reckoning of exactly what were the crimes, what went on, and we're, such a, we're a long way from that. And I think there, it's only when that full reckoning happens that we can take steps to ensure that, one, it won't happen again, but also to change the culture that created it. And so, I mean, again, my first response is always the past, but I do believe they are connected. I, I, this feels like a crisis moment for me in the church, and I don't know where it's going, but I think the two crucial steps are, one, figuring out what exactly happened and finding out who was responsible. And I think the answer there begins with bishops. Thank you, Kathleen, for spending some time with us today. That was Kathleen Sprose Cummings, the director of the Kushwa Center for the Study of American Catholicism and an associate professor in the Department of American Studies and History at the University of Notre Dame. Thanks for joining us, Kathleen. You're welcome. <laughs>